Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hi, how you doing? Welcome to the program. It is what it is. It's uh, also the last day of January, and this marks um, the 100th anniversary of the birth of uh, a great man, Jackie Robinson. Just want to point that out. And uh, if if you're a, a fan, you might want to pick up uh, New York Times today, uh, hard copy, because they've got a big standalone section on uh, Jackie Robinson, and it's is good, filled with wonderful pictures and commentary and history, and uh, it's good. So, just saying. Uh, the polar vortex has emptied uh, the streets. It's uh, it's it's wonderful. I mean, you can drive anywhere real fast. Uh, you can. I mean, I feel like I got the town to myself. I, I really, I like it. Walked the dog yesterday, and I had my entire neighborhood. But there was not another human being. I think only one car passed. Um, <laughs> wow. So I have to tell you that I. Um, uh, part of, you know, getting through these cold, cold winter months and uh, is that we sort of hunker down in our homes more than we normally do, and that's certainly true of me, and I find myself uh, binging on television, which is, you know, I... I feel like I'm wasting my life when I do that, and yet I, I try not to be too hard on myself. But yesterday, I watched two movies in a row that are classics, I guess, that I realized I have never seen. <laughs> I started with one, and I thought, oh, I saw what it was, and I thought, oh, as if I'd seen it and didn't want to see it again. And then I, as I watched I thought, you've never really watched this thing. So I did. And then there was another one on, and I don't want, I, I, I can't believe I never watched either of these movies. I'll tell you what they are. Um, I'm, I'm a, an old movie buff, so this is from Turner Classic Movies. I watched first Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. That's uh, a movie starring, I think, truly one of the greatest actresses of all time, Betty Davis. And uh, Olivia de Havilland, Melanie from Sweet Melanie from Gone with the Wind. Olivia de Havilland uh, playing um, an evil person, uh, which has to be a first. I don't, I, I don't know. And I have to tell you, it did, I, I was... I normally don't like movies like that. Totally got into it. And then the next one was Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Again, Betty Davis. 
and a, another actress who she hated. These two women hated each other, Joan Crawford. And I have to say, I'd never seen that either. And wow, are those two incredible actresses. They really are. And I would say, that's a good movie, even though it's not my kind of movie. I hate movies where people are torturing each other, but that's, that's what it is. Anyway, have to say, it's so odd to realize that Oh, yeah, I always felt like I'd seen the movies because you hear about them so often, and then you realize as you're watching, you wow. So, just wanted to say I'm no longer a virgin when it comes to Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which is not easy to say. Go ahead, say that a few times fast. Come on. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Wow. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Let me try that again. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. That is a very hard to say. <laughs> That's harder than Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. There's a lot of s and sh and your 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 teeth, tongue, and mouth have to move real fast. Hush, hush, sweet Char. Hush, hush, sweet Char Charlotte. Anyway, sorry. Hush, hush, sweet Char. Jesus. Okay, I'll work on it. Anyway. Uh, Paul writes, you had a wonderful day with movies yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I did. Joan Crawford was originally cast in the Olivia de Havilland role in Hush Hush. She can play evil better than Olivia de... But, I mean, that's what made it so incredible because Olivia de Havilland... Um, but uh, Paul writes... But Joan got too big for her britches, and they changed the casting. Well, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Anyway, Olivia was just fine because she was startling um, that she was the bad guy. Um, oh, and speaking of Olivia de Havilland, I have a slight connection. Um, when I went off to uh, New York at uh, the age of, God, what was I, maybe 20, um, lost, bewildered, but uh, enrolled in a, to study acting with one of the great acting teachers, Sanford Meisner, at the Neighborhood Playhouse, which um, is a feather in my cap, but I, I can't believe I ever was there, but I, I was. And in the first year there, um, there were about 45 of us students. The only one of us who became a name is Jeff Goldblum. Um, but another, another one of us had the strange name of Dallas. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't Dallas. Yeah, it was Dallas Pell. That was a woman, a girl, young girl, mousy, um, mousy. Uh, I know that sounds sexist, it does, doesn't it? But she was mousy in every way. Her name, Pell, 
was uh, also the name of a senator at the time who is the one who gave rise to the Pell Grants, which have helped educate an awful lot of people. So uh, Dallas, I guess, was Senator Pell's daughter. I might mis be misremembering it and, and conflating Dallas and someone else because either Dallas or another mousy person <laughs> in the class was the daughter of Olivia de Havilland. So this can't be, it can't be Dallas. Uh, wow, why am I blanking on her name? Why did I, it's see, see how you get old and, and your memory gets bizarre. Two people become one. Anyway, maybe what I'm thinking of is there were two people in the class that were related to famous people, Dallas Pell, whose father was the senator, and then Olivia de Havilland's daughter, who was another very nondescript, and I can't think of her name. But because there were so few of us in the class, we all, you know, intermingled, got to know each other. And it was from... Olivia de Havilland's daughter, that I heard, who, by the way, I think is still alive. Is, isn't she? I mean, she'd be 100 years old, easy, but I think she's still alive. Olivia de Havilland had a famous sister as well, who was also a famous actress, Joan Fontaine. They were siblings. They hated each other's guts. That's what I learned from Olivia's daughter, which later, I was as I read more about, about the two, uh, absolutely true. And I'm not... <laughs> it just, and I, from the daughter, I got the sense that Joan Fontaine was a real bitch, but then I, I'm... That's Olivia Damlin's daughter telling me the story. So I've always sort of wondered. But so that's my Olivia Damlin story because I got mixed up a little with Dallas Pell. Hmm. I can't think of who they are. Anyway, um, Aaron is stunned that I've never seen those two movies before. I can't. I am too. You know, I assumed I had. I think I'd seen snippets, obviously. Um but I never watched either from beginning to end. And they're good. Those are good movies. Yeah. So Aaron says, those are two of my favorites. So much fun. Uh, the FX series, Betty and Joan, Feud, Betty and Joan, was about making those movies. You have to see that one now. It's amazing. Okay, well. <laughs> uh, Olivia is still alive. She's 102. I think she lives in Paris. Um, Giselle is the daughter. Damn, damn, damn. It's not ringing a bell. Isn't that something? Thank you, though. Thanks for that. As for 
Claiborne Pell, <laughs> he married someone named Nuala O'Donnell, and they had four children. And one was named Nuala Dallas Pell. Well, that's the one I know. Um, new. Uh, okay. So, whatever. You cross, cross paths with folks in your life. Uh, we have a call. Okay. Hello, caller. Hi, Lynn Colin. Uh, you touched a nerve. There are some films that I can revisit and revisit and I never get sick of. And Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, oh my God, isn't there a scene where a head goes rolling yes. down the stairs, stairs at one point? Yes, yes, <laughs> there is. Oh, and, <laughs> and whatever happened to Baby Jane, um, that emailer was correct. You would probably, I think, enjoy, um, I think it's like about eight episodes, they're all an hour, but that show, I think, Feud is on Netflix now, and it was really, because it goes into the whole history of their feud. Uh, John Crawford and Betty Davis, and it goes into Robert Aldrich trying to, the director trying to deal with both of them and, and juggle it. But uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane, my my favorite line when uh, Betty Davis goes clomping up the stairs in their robe and those bedroom slippers, yeah. and and, uh, and uh, Blanche is watching herself on an old movie, right. and uh, she flicks it off, and Blanche goes, Jane, I was watching that. And uh, uh, Betty Davis looks at her and goes, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and the other line is, um, John Crawford's uh, she's sitting there and she goes, Jane, you wouldn't do these things to me if I wasn't in this chair. And she goes, but you are in the chair. Yeah. Yeah. You are. <laughs> oh, and another one. Oh, and she's calling the... Calling the liquor store. Betty Davis is calling the liquor store to make her liquor order delivery. Yeah. They did that in Pittsburgh. But ah. uh, she's like, five bottles of scotch, three bottles of vodka, four bottles of whiskey. And they're like, you don't have any credit. Your your sister cut you off. And she goes, oh, well, let me put her on the phone. It must be a misunderstanding. And then she totally imitates her John Crawford's voice. voice. Right. Oh, it's a misunderstanding. You should give her the credit. It is so funny, that movie. Another one, which I'm sure you've seen, ah. that I never get sick of, is uh, Sunset Boulevard. Yes, well, that I have seen a million times. And you're right, you never get That's sick of it. You never get sick of it. Yeah, because they're almost like comedies. They're so, um, I don't know, what we call them, they're so over the top. They're just uh, hilarious. Campy, I guess, almost. They tread the line between... You know, being very serious, and you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? But then they're also so campy. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, they are campy. And, you know, I'll tell you something. For those two, especially for Betty Davis, why I think she's such a great actress, she did. She was perfectly willing. Think of how hideous they made her look in, in, mm -hmm. in those movies. And she had no problem with that. And usually actresses from that era did not want to be seen as ugly or old but those two old war horses wow i just i'm i'm mm -hmm. just impressed and i i have to tell you i mean the at both of them are really good actors in that movie crawford and 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 davis really good well they were 
they were in their twilight years. Yeah. But somehow they still felt that they had something to prove, and they were both trying to outdo each other. There's been a lot written about it, but uh, that uh, that series feud does go into uh, to Betty Davis's choice to play the ugly one, and uh, it's it's a, it's just a fascinating story behind the movie. Even you know that's uh, as good, almost as good as the movie. The well, story I w- about the yeah, I was trying made. to think of both of those roles which one would is the juicier role um or the more difficult role and they're both very challenging actually i mean the twist at the end that extraordinary twist at the end um but betty davis so willing to go over the top in that is just extraordinary god i loved it truly now um, I subscribed to your um, email newsletter, and I did not hear this show yet, but apparently you mentioned something about a candle that smells like Kentucky Fried Chicken gravy. <laughs> but it reminded me, I still have to listen to the show to see what you said about it, but it reminded me that over Christmas, I was at a Walgreens, and they had a Yule log, an actual Yule log, that they said when you put it in your fireplace and burn it, it smelled like Kentucky Fried Chicken. And Are you kidding? Like, what in the world? No, I'm not kidding. This is a real thing. But here's the best thing. I have to share with you this joke, a, a Jimmy Kimmel joke. Jimmy Kimmel said the funniest thing. He goes, look, if I wanted a giant log that smelled like Kentucky Fried Chicken, I would just eat a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and wait a little while. <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, I will leave you. With yep. that, I will leave you. Take oh, care, I, thank Take you. Time. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Somebody sent me a picture of Olivia de Havilland with her daughter, and I got to tell you, man, it rings a vague bell, but boy, she looks beautiful. That's not the way she... It is her, those big, wide eyes. But I'll be... The name isn't ringing true. It's so odd. Yeah. Whole Swiss cheese in my in my memory banks. Oh my god. I probably don't remember more than eight names from that whole bunch. Isn't that weird? Can you name I mean go back to your fifth grade class. Go back to your second grade class. Think of those class photos they would have taken. I probably know more of those names, yeah, than I would of of these because I think in your younger years those they just I don't know what do I know. Hey, I got had today, and I don't like being had. I'm just saying. I'm reading the Wall Street Journal, which is unfortunately something I gotta do for my job, and I see. Page five has been given over to, somebody bought it. Somebody bought page five, and it says an open letter to anyone who will listen. Well, that's not bad to get someone's attention. And I note that I read the whole damn thing, okay, because it was odd. It's a guy named Nick Vitale. He says, First of all, my name's Nick Vitale. I'm 36 years old. I live in Milltown, New Jersey. I don't know if that matters, but I just thought it would be appropriate for this not to be completely anonymous. 
blah, blah, blah. And then he goes into, well, I actually, I couldn't figure out why is he, okay, you're probably all ahead of me now because I'm telling you I got had. He goes on to say that everyone's always saying, you know, when you buy something, we want to hear your feedback. You know, you go to the, you have a doctor's appointment now and you get an email saying, we want, will you please fill out this survey about your recent visit to <coughs> name the hospital. And I think, screw you. I don't want to be, I, you know, I don't, I just, I'm annoyed by this stuff. But, so he goes off on a rant about how when you do sort of give feedback, you get the sense that nobody's really listening. So he thought he would just um, do some feedback to all these places that are always asking for it. And he, he does the airlines first and, of course, says, you know, and I'll... I'd rather you, you know, just made my ticket what the price is and give me a free meal like you used to. And I, you know, all they just, just me. cable companies he goes into, and he gets onto on the subject of cheeseburgers. I am generally pleased with the product and service I have received. However, it would be great if you guys could slice the lettuce and tomato thinner so they don't slide out of the bun when I bite into it. It's a little thing I know, but one that I think would dramatically improve the overall experience. I'm thinking, how does a 36-year-old guy from Millville, New Jersey, have the Milltown, have the money to do this vanity thing in the Wall Street Journal? Um, and he goes on, maybe it's just me, every consumer product in America could come with, come with free breakfast and the ability to make one's own waffles. Thanks for listening, I hope it helps, and if any of you wish to discuss this further, please don't hesitate to reach out. Nick Vitale. I read that, and I just sat and looked at it for the longest time, and thought, that is so, I mean, I've, we've all seen similar things, where somebody with the money, I don't, can't imagine what a page in the Wall Street Journal costs. Uh, would would bother to do that. And then I decided I couldn't figure it out, so I turned the page and there was another page. Do I have that page here? The page that was my comeuppance? The page, the next page, when you turn it, was another one. And this is obviously an open letter to Nick Vitale of Milltown. And here is where, and I don't even understand it, but this, it's an, a, the whole thing is a two-page advertisement for Qualtrics and SAP. Don't have a clue what that means, except I guess these two companies are getting together and... Uh, Now, I'll say, it. The, the, I know, marketing is interesting. It got my attention, but then it made me feel like a fool, and then I didn't even understand what their business was, ultimately. So, but maybe, I mean, they weren't aiming for me. God! You know how much time I wasted on that? And you know how much time I just wasted of your life bothering you with it?
God, I can't get over Giselle. <laughs> well, listen, it was like 1969 or 70, sixty-nine. We all looked a little woe be gone then. Okay, so uh I don't know how interested you'd be in this, but it did make the front page of the New York Times, so clearly you don't have to be from Wisconsin to think this is a big story. Um, I know I sent, when I first saw it, I you know, sent it off to my sister and my mom. Uh, but this is uh, a story of, again, the extraordinary mismanagement of my home state by the Republican Scott Walker. And they've literally d done a good job destroying a once proud progressive state. And we've talked about, Susan and I have talked about this before, how they gave away the store to get this Taiwanese uh, electronics manufacturing giant, Qualcomm, uh, come, is that what it's called, Qualcomm? I can't even remember. Um, and every time in the last year or so, that I, Foxconn, <laughs> Jesus, Cullen, God, God, tune in, Lynn Cullen, and watch her brain dissipate and uh, molder in real time. Jesus. Anyway, so they gave away, they gave more money, the state gave more money in billions in incentives to Foxcom to get a plant there in southeastern Wisconsin uh, that was going to make flat screen televisions. And this was such a big to-do that Donald Trump, one of his first things as president, he traveled to uh, do one of those, uh, you know, ceremonial, put a spade in the ground, groundbreaking nonsense, alongside Scott Walker and the uh, CEO of uh, of Foxconn. And at the time, Trump said that bringing this to Wisconsin, this project was, get this, the eighth wonder of the world. It ain't happening. Foxconn has said, you know, not happening. Not happening after untold numbers of people were displaced from their homes through eminent domain. The, s the county bought up huge, huge tracts, acreage, and handed them over to Foxconn. They threw these people out of their homes. I granted they paid them but people who had no intention of selling their homes or wanting to uh, are now out of those homes to make way for this huge factory. It ain't happening. The eighth wonder of the world, ladies and gentlemen, in the time of Trump, like so many things, it's simply words. It's simply poof. 
when I, Susan and I drive from Chicago up to Green Bay, it's been a longer drive because of the construction that has been going on, infrastructure for this huge factory. Roads, highways being broadened, um, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, it was constant construction. And it was all for this thing. People displaced. Uh, infrastructure put in. This is by the government for this jewel, the eighth wonder of the world. And now the company said, you know, we have reassessed our plans. <laughs> and uh, there are difficult economics manufacturing in the United States. There's no way we can compete making flat screen tells. So they're not. Universities around there, community colleges, revamped curriculum, their curricula, so that they could train all these folks in southeastern Wisconsin for these manufacturing jobs. Incredible. So this uh, turn runs counter to uh, what Trump obviously was saying about this project. He said it. He said, here is what I'm doing for blue-collar workers. He's, he said it was a milestone, one of just the first ones in reversing the history of good manufacturing jobs being lost in the United States. Poof. Poof. And it turns out they should have known better. Because those of you with uh, good memories might recall that in 2013, Foxcom and the Pennsylvania state government happily announced that Foxcom was going to put a high-tech factory in central PA, I forget where, creating not the tens of thousands of jobs they, they promised Wisconsin, but 500 jobs. And that was given big to do and lauded, and I'm sure the skids were greased with taxpayer uh, dollars. And Foxcom pulled out of that, never built it. But Donald Trump and the, it's got Walker and the give the corporations anything they want, Republicans. Gave him the store. Gave him more than New York gave to get Amazon's headquarters. And by the way, speaking of that, you know that beauty contest that we lost? Since it was awarded to, uh, was it in Queens, I think, and then also in Virginia, there's been big troubles in New York. There have been constant demonstrations against uh, Amazon. And I guess yesterday in the New York City Council, or the Queens Council, I don't know, is there a council in Queens? 
I think it was just the New York City Council. Amazon um, sent one of its big, big guys uh, to subtly threaten New York. Listen to what he said. At the start of the hearing, Amazon's vice president for public policy, Brian Huseman, said this. We were invited to come to New York, and we want to invest in a community that wants us. And then he went on and said, we would never want to be part of a community where our employees and our company are not welcome. So it's a veiled threat. Hey, you guys put in a bid. We accepted your bid. Now you're giving us shit. And a lot of it had to do with they will, Amazon is a totally non-union. They, they are anti-union. Big shock. And um, New York is a big union town. And all of the president of the council kept saying, will you agree to at least be neutral if workers at your Amazon facility here wanted to unionize? And Amazon's Hoosman said, no, sir. So there, Amazon plays total hardball. This is why I am so glad they didn't come here. They're the biggest boys on the block. They know it. They run roughshod over communities, over human beings, over any effort by the part of employees to have any power to unionize. And already, they're threatening to take their so-called 25,000 jobs and go somewhere else. You don't want us? You're going to keep up giving us shit here? We'll leave. Whew. Thank God. Oh, that's Foxconn. Michael sends me this. Uh, Foxconn is the one with the factory in China where they actually put netting around the entire structure because too many workers were jumping out of the place committing suicide. Oh, and he checked in on it. The KFC Yule log is sold out. So you can't have it. Although I was, as I said yesterday, I was thinking if those um, scented uh, KFC gravy candles are, are available, that could really make a great, um, great gift <laughs> for somebody. Um, just because I was in you know, talking about New York. I want to I wanna address this uh, story. It is a New York story, but I'm so stunned by it, by finding out. I, it's been a long time since I've been in the subway in New York, 
And I do keep reading nightmare stories about the deterioration of service um, in New York subways. But when we talk about infrastructure and we talk about America's falling so far behind other countries, countries that have nowhere near the resources, the money, we do. But America is increasingly a country that does not invest in public things. All the money is going into private pockets. And so we can never in America find the money to do things that help everybody, not just enrich a few. And that would be, of course, something like a subway system, public transit. Here is one of the biggest cities in the world, certainly one of the most iconic, supposedly one of the richest. And the subway system is embarrassing. But what I didn't know because of the news of this uh, young mother with a child in a stroller having to carry the stroller and everything else she had, walking down those steep stairs into the subway, and she fell. She's dead. Uh, the child lived. Uh, there was an autopsy report actually that came out today and it says that they don't think the fall killed her, that she might have in fact had some kind of a medical issue which caused the fall, but that's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because I thought there was this thing called the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. I thought, well, somebody who's in a wheelchair can't get out of the wheelchair, pick it up and walk down. The, there are no, it is a rare stop on the New York subway that has access for people in wheelchairs or people in any way who would have trouble walking down those steep steps or up those steep steps. How is that even possible this long after that legislation? It turns out that, and why there's no loss, uh, there is a lawsuit. There was one filed in 2017, um, which asserted that it was one of the least accessible systems in the country, violation, obviously, of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that case, because again, our speedy system of justice, um, and the ability of uh, the transit uh, authorities in New York to hold it up, that is nowhere near uh, getting heard. Um, it's still alive, but there's no... There are gaps as large as 10 sub subway stops before you find a subway that has an elevator. You know, when I ride the bus here, 
I see so many young women, rare to find a young man, but every once in a while, dealing with two or even three small children, dealing with all their stuff, all her stuff, a stroller. This is her means of transportation. She gets up. She's carrying folded up strollers. She's carrying a child. She's got other two trying to get. And it is not unusual for someone on the bus to help um, her get on or off. But it is not a surefire thing. So you watch these women with young children and all the stuff in the winter especially, trying to deal with this. And at least here, uh, you know, there there is access. Those buses are available and accessible. How can we pretend to be a major civilized nation and, and not invest in the kinds of things that lift up all people. Roads, subways, buses. Why? It says so much about us. And I, I swear, I cannot comprehend how the federal government isn't, I mean, what, could they, what, what are they going to do? But I mean, I, you can't how do people who are disabled get around in New York City if they rely on the public uh, public transit? I, I, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I wow. Think of the money in Manhattan where this woman died. Think of the money. There's so much money there, you could choke on it. But again, it's just for a few. And the government there doesn't have the money that is in all those private hands and, I, I guess, can't foot the bill. The, I can't, billions and billions and billions. They can always find the money to give to Amazon. Coles to Newcastle, but they can't build a public transit system. It's really something. Lynn in Ohio says, yeah, well, who uses the public transit system in New York? Poor people. What do you get when you have a service that serves the poor? You get poor service. I think it's not just not just the poor. I mean, you know, although in New York you can make uh, like fifty thousand dollars a year and be poor. <laughs> I mean, th that's not a, and you're definitely riding the subway. I mean, that was subways and buses were my sole means of transportation when I was there. And the system, I don't think, has been upgraded. That was in the early 70s, I, I, late 60s, early 70s. I don't think it's, it's unbelievable. You know, look to where a society's 
priorities are. And it will tell you about the what kind of a society it is, if it could be classified as a moral society. And ours cannot. There is no way. We are an immoral society. And proud of it, I guess. Let's go back to Betty Davis. Uh, Debbie says, Betty Davis has always been one of my favorite actresses. I heard her tell a story to Dick Cavett about when she was leaving Warner Brothers. And Jack Warner tried to coax her into staying by offering her the lead in a movie based on a book that he just brought the rights to. She said, oh, I'll just bet it's a pip. And she stormed out. She said it was the biggest mistake of her life. You're not telling me what the movie was. Gone with the Wind? I mean, what was the movie? Gone with the Wind? That if you look at it now, you know, some of these movies, they're so friggin' racist and sexist. It's just, it's just mind-boggling. As somebody who watches a lot of old movies, you know, I'm just, I'm blown away by it. Okay, so guys, let's see what else we got here. Oh, I want to comment on the, there's a local story uh, about uh, a, a producer over at the local television station lost his job yesterday because of something he did that aired that he thought was funny, and I guess, yeah, it was, <laughs> sort of. He um, put on the Chiron, the, the, the wording underneath the picture. Uh, the picture was of Tom Brady, and he put on the Chiron, known cheater, as an identifier, you know. And um, he lost his job. They fired him. Bang. Uh and I must say, I just, I do want to say, it's a pretty harsh penalty, but I bet it got a lot of people's attention, which is good. You can't, I mean, what, what is with people? There's no, again, this shows the lack of journalistic ethic that's coming out of, uh, out of what? Whatever schools these people go to. Do they get journalism degrees? I don't know. That would have been unheard of. You, you can't use your a news show as a platform for your, for your joke, even if you know that your audience would get a kick out of it, because there's this thing called, <laughs> I mean, that, that he didn't even think he had to, it's amazing to me. It just shows a lack of basic understanding of the sort of bedrock principle, not sort of, the bedrock principle of working for a media outlet. And I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. It was Gone with the Wind. Um, 
I feel for the guy. I'm sure he'll be, you know, he learned a lesson. And I normally don't take management side in these things, but I am so sick and tired of people not comprehending the responsibility of working in journalism. I don't know. So it's a big story locally. It's actually a got a lot of uh, I first heard about it on Sports Illustrated's uh, site. Yeah, it was gone with the wind. Everybody's telling me. Oh my God, MSNBC has dropped Steve Schmidt, who was, I guess he comes on and he's one of their blowhards and pontificators, although I get a kick out of him. He was the one who uh, ran the campaign, John McCain's uh, presidential campaign, and um, but it came out the other day that he is also advising Howard Schultz, the ex-Starbucks CEO, on his presidential run and MSNBC canned him. Let's see what they say. They have reportedly cut ties with political analyst Steve Schmidt because he is advising billionaire Howard Schultz. Uh, Yeah, but he's not that he's there as an opinion guy. He's not it's not the same thing. He's there as the fact that he was McCain's former I mean, that's his job. That's why they seek out his expertise. That's interesting. All right, uh Beth writes, I thought how stupid was this producer on so many fronts. Bob Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, sits on the board of Viacom, which owns CBS. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, oh, oh. Well, that's a whole other, maybe maybe screw journalistic ethics, which owns Viacom, which owns CBS. That's a CBS affiliate. I understand his firing came from CBS headquarters. Really? And by the way, Bob, oh yeah, Bob Kraft is the owner of the Patriots, the Tom Brady's team. Oh, so the plot thickens, huh? Well, we have a caller. Hello there. Yes, good morning, Lynn. Good morning. Hello, how you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Hey, Lynn, uh, this is something strange I'm thinking about. Remember you? Remember when you were growing up? They had the draft. Mm -hmm. People of age, men of age, mm -hmm. went to went to Vietnam, probably right. Mm -hmm. If we were to have a war right now, you know we couldn't do that, right? You know why we couldn't do it? Why do you think we couldn't do it? There's one reason, one big reason. Just uh, it's simple, but think about it. We couldn't do it. Well, politically, not, no one, no one politically, no, politically has. Not politically, nothing to do with politics at all. R to reinstitute the draft? Standpoint, if we reinstituted the draft right now, no our one country's would. too fat, too physically fat. They oh. wouldn't meet the basic requirements 
to go to basic training. Yeah, but they can't the even with a volunteer army. They can't find enough people. No, but I'm saying that if we yeah if we said okay, I, there's a draft. Everybody has to go to the draft. They would not be able to get into the no, to basic training because you're too fat. You're obese. There's certain standards in the military. When I was in reserve, you have to meet the requirements of weight standards. If you went overweight, you could be out of the military. So if we were to man it right now, we physically could not do it because we're too effing fat. So we're fat physically, number one. Yeah. We're lazy mentally, mm. and we're undisciplined. The country is falling apart at the seams. Yep. Not because of any outside of us. It's inside of us. Of course. We are, we are a culture uh, and a country in decline. There is, and a people in decline. There's no doubt. Big time. There is no That's doubt about it. And we I are mean, complicit in it. We're, yes. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's, it's, you, we're physically fat, obese. One third, what's a one third obese? That's like super fat. You got 60% obese. And so you got a, roughly, what, 40%? No. Look, it's, it's the end game. It's the end game of it, capitalism. They keep selling. They made us into people that they jerk around, and they feed us crap food at yes. at really nice prices. So we eat the crumble. crap food. They don't pay us enough to buy good food. <laughs> I they don't. I know. So I, yeah, yeah. We're gonna. It's gonna crumble. And then all the rich people are gonna have all their money. There's gonna be a revolution. We can't keep. We. we, we Okay, I don't. I mean, that's I, okay. I, I hear you. I I mean, okay, don't worry about all these in, uh, external forces. No, we gotta tighten up our own ship. Yeah, Please. right. We our can't build a wall. Yeah, there's no wall gonna help <laughs> us. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> the enemy is inside. It's it's, it's yeah. Right here, it, it's totally here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there are saviors actually. Let them in here. Maybe they can help us out. <laughs> we need to do it. We need some help, please. Mexico, Guatemala, come up here, please. Because maybe you have. Yeah, it. bring some non-obese, hardworking people, <laughs> please, willing to risk their lives. Right. Thank yeah, you. Thank you for. Away and we're telling them. Yeah. We're gonna shoot you with tear gas. You come up here. Yeah. In this country, I tell you what we got for you, pal. And your, you and your kids, you and your daughter, get the hell out here. Go back where you came from. And if you don't go back, we'll cut your aid to your country. That's what he threatened. I, he threatened all those Central American countries. I know. We're going to shut your aid down. How, how are you going to deal with that now? What are you going to do now? Come up, You come up here again? We'll shoot you back. <laughs> These people got to live in. What kind of world are you living in? I hear you. Hey, thanks. Go, t go uh, right, take a Xanax. Bye. Yeah, bye. I know reality sucks. Uh, Barbara sent me this essentially about people who have a lot of something. If a man has a house and it's stacked to the ceiling with newspapers and stuff, we call him crazy. If a woman has a trailer house full of cats, we call her nuts. But when people hoard so much cash that they impoverish others, we put them on the cover of Fortune magazine and we call them role models. Depends on what you're hoarding. 
you hoard money as those who think there are betters do. You hoard money and you're somebody who's going to be lauded, worshipped, envied. Hoard anything else and you're nuts. Okay. This was in the Times uh, Sunday paper. Pittsburgh is always getting in the... I think this would have been the travel section. And it talks about the fact that uh, there is a citywide initiative celebrating George Romero. And it's called Romero Lives. Is it because I don't get the PG anymore? I didn't know about this? Are you aware of this? A citywide initiative called Romero Lives? According to this, it is um, an effort to uh, make Pittsburgh a destination for George Romero cult, you know, f members. Uh, so I, d I don't know. And then they go on. It, it, I'm thinking, wh what would somebody, okay, they come to Pit Pittsburgh, to, wh where would they go? And according to the travel section of the New York Times, uh, they immediately leave Pittsburgh and go to Evans City. <laughs> they go to Evans City, which is described as a suburb. Of, I don't think of Evans City as a suburb. And I don't think people in Evans City think of Evans City as a suburb. You know, this is the vaunted New York Times travel section. Evans City is in and of, and, and the reason you go to Evans City is that's where the, you know, the opening scene, the cemetery, that's, yeah, that's where it is. So, yeah, there's a citywide initiative. And I read this whole thing, and for the life of me, I can't figure out what people are supposed to go see. They're supposed to come, and then they're go, supposed to go to this Pittsburgh suburb called Evans City. And there it says you can drive around. <laughs> it really says. <laughs> hey, Mabel, get the kids. This sounds too good to be true. Hey. You can drive on the road. You can drive on the road in the cemetery. And you can roam among the tombstones. Yeah, I'd book a flight to Pittsburgh to drive on an Evans City Cemetery Road and roam among the tombstones. Um, also, there's a great picture here of the Monroeville Mall. And it says here, <laughs> the mall's parking lot and its signage remain mostly unchanged 
an instantly recognizable detail that Dawn of the Dead fans will eat up. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, is that true? Does the Monroeville Mall look like it did in the... It do, pretty much does. There's some more buildings there, the parking lot. Yeah, but yeah. So come to Pittsburgh, then drive to Evans City, which is not a suburb, and drive on the roads in the Evans City Cemetery, roam among the tombstones, then go to a failing uh, mall that is in a suburb of Pittsburgh. And the other attraction that they send you to is the must-see for fans is the bronze bust of George Romero at the Monroeville Mall. Be still my heart. I personally... <laughs> what? I'm Romero Lives kicked off last fall. Who knew? With a roster of events. And uh, still to come are film screenings and academic forums. The George Romero Foundation, here's the most interesting thing, the George Romero Foundation has even started to discuss, started to discuss establishing a national horror movie museum in Pittsburgh. Now that would be a destination. But right now, I don't care if Romero lives, which by the way he doesn't. Uh, it just doesn't seem. But they say people in Pittsburgh are dreaming because tourism thrives in, for instance, at the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, which inspired The Shining. And let's not forget in New Jersey, Camp Nobisobo, which was a setting of Friday the 13th, which in the movie is called something else, Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah, so that's what we're, um, I, I just have to say, I read that and there's no there there. It is just the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And uh, are we over? Oh yeah, we are. Okay. All right, guys, that's it from me. We've got, uh, ow! <laughs> we, we've got a digital injury here and um, Colin out with a digit. Bye. Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Conan Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.